Hello and welcome to Inspire with myself, Nicola Wheels. Today's guest is a successful British businesswoman, model, media celebrity and trans activist from Barry, South Wales. In 2021, she founded Zoa, a pioneering company that offers underwear and swimwear for transgender women. She is also the chief exec of Not A Phase, a charity that is working towards a brighter future for the trans plus community. Please welcome Danielle St. James. Hi. Hello. Hi, gorgeous. Hi, how are you? I am so good. I have been stalking you on Instagram for ages and I'm like, I need to get on my podcast, I need to go on my podcast. And we <laughs> finally got a date. We're in Dari and here it is. I made it. love what you are all about. I'm and I just want to share you with my audience, basically. That's so, sweet. Well, it's lovely um, to be shared. Yeah. So <laughs> tell me, Danielle from Barry in Wales, <laughs> where did it all begin? Like, where are you from? What is your background? What was it like growing up for you in Barry? Um, I think you can probably predate Barry with Gavin and Stacey because it brought something to it in terms of attention because pre predating Gavin and Stacey it's just a knackered old seaside town that had better days in the 50s and 60s before like tourism existed to other countries um so yeah it was just a bit of a tired old town really um but born and raised in South Wales I think um when people hear um when people hear where I'm from versus who I am they would mm. nat people naturally assume oh you must have had it so hard which is really interesting because um, I think Welsh people are a little bit different in that I think Welsh people are a bit more open-minded I think Welsh people are a bit more friendly I actually didn't have it hard there's not a, a hardship story in terms of where I'm from you know my parents separated when I was really really young but have an absolute powerhouse of a mum and so, yeah, it was me, my mum and my sister brought up in Barry. I did well in school. I was relatively popular, uh, didn't have any issues, wasn't bullied. Um, I had a few run-ins with the teachers because I was, um, you know, a very queer kid in a very Catholic school. <laughs> take that into account. I mean, we're talking like late 90s, early noughties. My school had gender-neutral toilets and a unisex uniform, which is really... Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, we had the, 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 we just had massive toilets that were all cubicles and everyone could go in there. And they did it to prevent bullying. And the uniform was the same for everybody. So there wasn't this sort of, like, struggle of, like, oh, I have to be in the boys... My school moved me into the girls' PE class when I was in year nine because they knew that I was responding better to being with the girls. Um, I always had, you know, I I had opening had boyfriends from when I was like 11 and 12. And I always had a face full of makeup. I was just, I really like, um, I think my parents just thought I was like Bowie or Boy George when I was young because I was just sort of living out loud yeah. from very early on. But I, um, yeah, I'm really lucky in that experience because even if they'd have chosen different education for me, I heard absolute horror stories of things that yeah. happened in the, you know, the boys' school especially. I heard what happened there. There was people that I knew that went there. Horrible, horrible, awful things. But yeah, I was just kind of like the the gender-bending 
kids in the Catholic school, um, they, I don't, I remember they called my mum in. I was probably about fourteen, and they called my mum in and said that they felt that I was deviating from God's path. <laughs> yeah, what a line! What well, a line! In mind, I was never baptized or christened, and my mum, my mum's such a rebel. My mum forged baptism certificates to get me into the school. So they thought that I was like from a Catholic family. My mum was not Catholic in any mm. way, but she'd forged and pretend that I was. But by that point, I was already, I was already in. And so, yeah, they said that I deviated from from God's path. And my mum leaned out, leaned over the desk and told her to go fuck herself. Oh my God, your mum! I love her. Yeah. So, um, you know, I didn't stick around for too long. I I actually left Wales the day after I turned eighteen. And I moved to Ibiza, where I, um, yeah, your hometown. <laughs> I moved to Ibiza and I was there for the following two years, two and two and a half years, I think, two, two and a half years. And then I left and moved to London. So, yeah, I mean, the, o- the, the only bad things were like not specifically relating to my identity or anything like that, but it was Amazing. just part of growing up and being a bit of a mess. Yeah. Can you remember feeling and thinking I want to do things like this and this is what the boy should be doing and I'm doing this. Can you remember that feeling? Um, Kind of, yeah. I Again, I had really progressive parents. My parents like met because they were both punks oh, in the okay. 80s. And um, when I wanted to wear makeup, I, I think I was probably about 12, 12 or 13, I wanted to wear makeup. And I told my mum that I wanted to wear makeup and I needed her to take me to Blue Banana, which was like a goth shop, to buy me makeup because that's where I'd seen makeup. And I was like, you're not wearing makeup from Blue Banana. And she took me to Boots and bought me real makeup. She's like, you oh need, my- if you're going to wear it, do it do it good. Um, and so, she, yeah. I- well, how amazing. Like, Crazy, I yeah. just, if I was thinking about, like, if that was me and my parents, now, like, my mum, you know, would have been like, oh, you know, let's just see. But my dad... I mean, he would have probably disowned me, you know, yeah. like, and I think so many of us of this, you know, I'm 40, I know that you're 35, of that generation of parents, like how, what a blessing that you had to be born with those parents. It's amazing. I, I think had my parents have been together throughout, I might have had it harder. Okay. My dad and I have got a very difficult relationship. We no longer speak as of... Okay about six months ago again not relating to me being trans when i told them i was gay when i was like 11 my dad was completely fine with it Mm. um and when i when i told them i was trans it was just before i moved to ibiza and then i came back two years later and i'd been on hormones two years i looked very different my hair was long and he struggled with that i know that he really struggled with that um and my dad had some really deep rooted stuff i remember when i told him i was gay and he was like he was so fine with it but he had been conditioned to be scared of it. And he, yeah, he told me stories about like people that he had known through rugby. My dad was a rugby coach, you know, he was a big, burly, cockney guy. And um, he had told me stories about men being sexually assaulted by other men and stuff like that. And he was just like, oh, this is a bad thing. I, he tried to warn me that older gay men were predator predators. Yeah. Which is obviously not true, but he was a product of his upbringing. Yeah. So it took me educating them. But my mum, my God, my mum was just like waving the flag for me from yeah. the, from from the jump. 
so yeah i was i was really lucky i was lucky to have my mum, and i was lucky that my parents got divorced i think (laughs) (laughs) and you've got an you've got a brother do you say yeah so well i've got an older sister yeah and then my dad got remarried and had my brother when i was i think like 12 so yeah yeah, i've i've got by technicality a, a half sibling but my my brothers recently told me that they are non-binary and um i'm still adjusting to whether that means that i say brother anymore i'm not sure yeah i'm not sure we're navigating that we're taking it it comes so we'll see a sibling i think i know i did i did stop them the the, the night they told me we were leaving the standard in king's cross we've been one of my friends just did drag race and we went to a drag race viewing party and um they told me just before the TV program came on and we're all sat in this hotel bar where everyone's cheering for my friend who's on Drag Race and they told me I'm, I'm non-binary. And I'm still, you know, even in my job, I still feel like I'm always going through a process of education and I think I found it um, really um, easier to talk about when it was friends and people that are in a, a peer level to me and then all of a sudden it's my my younger sibling mm. and we when we left the hotel i said to them i will adjust all of my language and i will do absolutely everything that as i'll follow your guidance but if you instruct me to say that you're my sibling then i'm just going to tell people you're my friend because it sounds really wanky <laughs> <laughs> i was like nobody says this is my younger sibling i was like so it's either brother or friend <laughs> i love that but i also love that you know, you're like, you are in the community and you're still learning and educating yourself because it's, isn't it? It's years and years and years of us just conditioning ourselves to this is my brother, this is my sister, this is his, this is hers. And so to unlearn those things is for all of us, you know, it's... I mean, they, they had to do it, not just, not just, um, not just Cam, but my, my family had to do it when I transitioned. They had to adjust their language Um and so I, yeah, I mean, in terms of it being within my family, I can only empathise in the way that they could only empathise with me. And I'm just going to go with what they tell me to go with until that works or doesn't work and then we'll keep it moving. Yeah. But I think in society, you're right, things are changing really fast. And I think that it's always important, especially in my line of work, that I never claim to know everything. Yeah. Because... I can get put on my ass at any point by somebody correcting me and I go, okay, am I reacting to this through ego or, you know, I need, I need to check myself and go like, you don't know everything. Just, just get, go with it. So yeah, it's still a process of learning for me. And I, yeah. so, and because of that, I must be a few years ahead of the general population in relation to that, that topic. So I think it's really important to come at people with a compassion and say and not make people feel stupid yeah but yeah people don't learn by feeling stupid yeah exactly and people want to do what's best for others but sometimes they just don't know it's not that they're being unkind it's just Agreed. they don't know any different and so if you can educate them and just teach them oh by the way would you mind if you know and then they take it as absolutely like whatever you want me to say i would be happy to say that yeah so I yeah i was just going to say i mean i think it one of the most British things that um, that can be said is when people say like, oh, as long as they're not hurting anybody. That's such a British way of speaking. And I really believe that that's how people in this country feel mm. is they genuinely want everybody to be okay as long as it doesn't interrupt them and their correlation mm. screen. 
you know, like they, <laughs> yeah. they're fine. And so the only times where there's like anger and hatred is when people are scared. Yeah. You know? And I think tapping into that fear and trying to say like, why are you scared? And then yeah. we've been through this before. We went through it with gay people, you know, like we, we, we know how this goes. It's going to be a rough ride. We'll get there. Yeah, absolutely. So Danny, you moved to Ibiza. Why Ibiza? Like, what was it that you were like, I need to move? Was it Brooks. Um, for you here? When I was when I was sixteen, I used to sneak into gay bars in Cardiff, and that was and that was how I met the first trans people that I'd ever met, um, <laughs> which changed my life because all of a sudden I'd never seen somebody who I understood like that. I always <laughs> thought I was a really shit gay boy. I thought I was really shit at being a gay boy. <laughs> I I don't really know how to do this, so I was just looking around at gay boys and going why oh. would you say you're shit at being a gay boy what because you didn't fancy other boys or oh listen i've always been about the boys but okay. it, um i wish i felt at that time in the, in my adolescence that i was shit at being a gay boy because nothing was instinctive i didn't okay none, none of it was just coming to me it was things that i was emulating because i could see it okay and get you. so when i first met trans people when i was like 16 in in, in these gay bars all of a sudden i knew oh okay I'm on to something here I get it now I understand it yeah you know, these are the days before Caitlyn Jenner you know like yeah there yeah 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 sure about trans people yeah and so this will lead to Ibiza I promise all all roads lead back to trans unfortunately <laughs> in my life um and so I met I met this trans girl who was um a dominatrix and um she was like nuts absolutely nuts trans girl and we became very fast friends she actually ended up she her family were um from the caribbean and she was from jehovah's witness background not really known for being the most accepting people <laughs> she had a really rough life like yeah tough 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 she ended up moving in with me at my mum's house so she moved in with with my family we took in this like down and out trans girl and that was when i was 17 and we decided that we were we were going to go on holiday together when I was 17. And we went to a travel agent, probably pre like online travel bookings. And um, the travel agent said, oh, yeah, you should go to Ibiza. Uh, but it was get this, right? So she sold us this holiday and we went in April. <laughs> Nothing happens in Ibiza in April. But anyway, so we went to Ibiza. I was 17. She was 19. We went to Ibiza. I think it was like mid to late April. The only things that were open were like horrible bars in San Antonio and um, the gay bars up on the street in the old town. Yeah. So we just went back and forth between those two places. But within that, I met all of these people that I'd never even dreamt of meeting. Yeah. All of these like wild living out loud people. And so I think in my 17-year-old mind, oh, we need to go to Ibiza. That's where we are meant to be. Yeah. They're and my people. Like, I, it's it's just a land full of colourful people who are who they are. And that is why I love it here so much. Like, Absolutely. And, and as, a lot of the time, they're like the rebels and the rejects and the, you, you name it. Like, they're, they're the ones that couldn't fit the mould of what happens in the UK. And so they found yeah. a different mould, you know. Yeah. And um, I fell in love with it. And so the day after I turned 18, which was the following April, 
I um I maxed out all of I I maxed out maxed out anything that would give me credit as the second I turned eighteen and I moved to Ibiza, um and I rented a a horrible little flat that looked over the bus station in the back of San Antonio. <laughs> um and yeah i moved i moved to Rita. yeah then did you move on your own or did you move with your friend i moved with her we moved together oh amazing unfortunately she didn't really last very long i think she lasted about six weeks but i'm i'm stubborn and um my family had said before i left that they didn't believe that i would last long for me that's all i need all i need is to be underestimated yeah and so i was like not only am i going to move further summer i'm not coming back and i'm going to live there permanently i'm going to stay in the winter worst thing ever be this horrible in in the winter in terms of the people that are left over there it's a lot of the time it's the people who've got nowhere to better to be or they're yeah and they're and they're in like the alps um and so yeah I, i i moved with her she ended up it was a whole mess um, but yeah, I, I, I split my time between dancing for La Troya at Amish. Yes. Oh my God, yes. I know that. I love it. Yeah. So I was a dancer for La Troya. So we used to do the parades in Old Town on a Wednesday <laughs> evening. And then I would dance at Amnesia in the night. And then the rest of the time, I was a laughing gas seller. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I used to sell laughing gas. Um, and probably make... An absolute fortune. I earned more money then than I earn now. Yeah. yeah. I was I was like thousands a night. It was yeah. wild how much money I earned. Yeah. Uh, and then I ended up working for the Mambo group and um and being in part of the part of the estate there. But yeah, it was it was crazy. It was but it was like the the most perfect place to cut my teeth. You know, like yeah. I there was there's no judgment there. And because of the overturning tourism, look, I, I, San Antonio is grossy, but I lived in San Antonio. I ended up living above Cafe Del Mar, stayed there for quite a long time, loved it there. Um, but because of the overturning tourism, if I'm still working myself out, I can be a completely different person next week than I was the week before and nobody knows any different. It was just a, a time of like playing yeah. things and working out who I was. Yeah. Um, the Spanish medical system is so much more easy in terms of transition, I managed to get on hormones really, really fast and start my medical journey in Spain because it's they just have better infrastructure there. And um, yeah, I was just amongst my own people in the How scene. amazing. And so when you say you start your medical journey, so then would you go to the doctor and say, this is how I'm feeling, help me? Is that much. how it works? Yeah, I mean, obviously this is a long time pre-Brexit. Yeah. So I I got residencia, I think, two weeks after I moved there. You just went down to the police station, signed up, and you were a, re- a resident. Yeah. Um, I enlisted at a GP, and I went to him, and I, I basically said, like, I'm trans. This is what I uh, what I want to do. And he, he, it was so much easier back then. He just wrote everything that I needed down and sent me off to the pharmacy. Um, told wow. me to check in with them. Um, I mean, realistically, I probably could have done with a bit of mental health support. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was getting that from the club. So. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, you're in, you know, it's not like, I'm not sure if this is, you're like, this is what I am. This oh, is I who I am. You know, yeah. and I, I feel like even back then, someone meeting you would have go, absolutely. You know, and yeah. You, yeah, for it's sure. not like, oh, is, is this like, you know, the name of your charity? Is this just a phase? You know, it isn't. Yeah. It, you knew. And so... What are those drugs like? To, out of total curiosity, what is it that you take? 
Um, so I take um, estrogen every single day. Yeah. Uh, even medi- now? Yeah, even now. You oh, have, okay. You have to take it for life. Um, so I take estrogen every day. And then once every six months, I go and have this big old um, injection um, that it was developed as a cancer, a prostate cancer medication because prostate cancer is testosterone driven. Mm. And so what this medication does is it completely stops your body producing testosterone. And then so where you're supplementing with the estrogen, you, your system just becomes estrogen dependent. And that's why you get sort of like fat redi- redistribution, breast tissue, and your body changes, your face changes a bit. Yeah. Amazing. And does it stop like hair growing on your face and that kind of stuff? Annoyingly, no, it doesn't. Anything- oh, Anything that already grew is there. It, it, people do say that they see a reduction in body hair over time. I can't really attest to that. But I think I was just a, unlucky in the body hair genetics. Um, so I've had a life of laser, electrolysis, waxing, shaving, you name it. I, I'm like the, the hair removal pro. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and then is that what you started taking in like when in Spain? What that's what they you went off to the doctor, the pharmacy. They gave you the estrogen and you started taking. And how quick does that do you start to notice? I mean, that must be so exciting when you like this is the tablet that's going to make me feel how I know I am. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I I just started on estrogen. I wasn't on a testosterone blocker back then. Um, so it was just estrogen and I think I probably started to really notice things that's kind of like the six to 12 month mark it's really difficult for, for me oh, to oh wow quite take... a long time then yeah oh yeah I mean look there are there are some people um, in my position who believe that changes start to happen really really quickly I don't think the science backs that up and I think some of it is like you just being very affirmed because yeah. you're you're taking it you know um into but i um yeah i don't think i started to notice changes for for, for quite a while um and then by the time by, by the time i was ready to go down like surgical routes in my sort of mid 20s they'd already had a really significant impact like my body shape was completely different i had full breast tissue growth and all of that so oh yeah. amazing so wonderful i just love it and then um and then so surgery wise then what was that something that you knew you were going to have? Like, it's, or was it just kind of part of a process? Like, I'm going to take the estrogen and then see how I feel. Um, listen, like surgery for one trans person and surgery for another trans person is such a different experience. Yeah. For some people are like, they have a list of things and it's like, bap, bap, bap. other people don't want anything at all. For me, I think I've just taken surgery um, over the years it's like um, I'm just making tweaks that then make me feel more aligned as I get, yeah. get as I get a bit older. Uh, the first yeah. thing I did was, was was I had boobs boob implants when I was I think 24 or 25 24 I think um, it was so dodgy the way I did it. Um, I was skin. I'd living in London, so I had like bloody nothing. I was running nightclubs in Soho. I was running a gay nightclub called the Shadow Lounge in Soho at the time. Oh my god, I know. Shadow Lounge. I used to go there all the time. General manager of the Shadow Lounge. No way. I loved it there. What night? There was one night that I would always go. Oh my god, I can't even remember now. What happened on the night? Oh. Do you remember any of that? Can't... Before it bit? No. Okay. <laughs> so you remember? It, it was. I'll... Yeah. Let me remember. But I was in. I was dancing in the West End. So I was in Fame, the musical. Got it. In the West End, 
um, around that, that same time. And I, we would always go to Shadow Lounge or Freedom Bar. Yeah, or, or, that, or that little tri- Yeah, that bar. little triangle. Yeah. yeah. Loved so, yeah, it. It was my and, life. And, but I had, I mean, I had no, I had no money. So yeah. um, I wanted to do the, the, the breast implants and I was saving up and I ended up so dodgy. I went to an, it was basically an office block in Poland in a place called Rotslav in Poland. <laughs> it was so bad. And I got there and I was like, this is a really weird place. It was literally an office block. Yeah. How much did you pay? Like, I think like two and a half grand. Yeah. So it's like, like a grand, maybe a grand and a half cheaper than what it would have been. Yeah. It's not even that much really. But we, By the time you paid flights, uh, apartment, yeah. all of that whatever but do you know what put me off i went, actually went for a consultation at mya in london and um they made me feel so shit about myself but i was just like i don't want to get it done here like they 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 were literally like so blase it was such a huge thing for me to do yeah and they they were like yeah come in at eight o'clock we'll have you out by three and i was like oh i kind of like i i kind of wanted to be nurtured a little bit more. yeah 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 i get that and so, um, but Poland, like they kept you in for a few days. You had round the clock care. It was, I think back then, European surgery had not all been channeled straight into Istanbul. And so there were okay. places kind of all over Europe where you'd go for certain Pockets. things. Mm-hmm. Um, funny story about that, actually. So I was with my, I went with my ex and we're sat in the waiting room. And this really strange woman walks in, like covering her face and acting really erratic sits directly opposite me it's Daniela Westbrook in this office block in Rotslav <laughs> and um, she, we were on our phones just waiting she thought that we were taking photos of her started like popping off being like y'all taking I was like who even cares who you are <laughs> um, but she was basically getting like a whole new head and body she was getting like everything nicked tucked and whatever so she's in the waiting room and then Somebody else walks in and sits next to her, starts talking to her. Big swollen eyes. Christopher Maloney of X Factor fame a million years ago. Yeah, 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 I remember. He'd gone for his upper and lower eyelid removal yeah. thing. And um, so, yeah, sat in, a, sat in a waiting room in an office block in Poland. Me, my <laughs> my head of the paratroopers X, um, Daniela Westbrook and Christopher Maloney. It's like a joke. It was so funny. It's like something out of a comedy sketch, isn't it? Yeah. So I had my impl- I, ha- I had my boobs done there, and um, it's really good. I mean, I've lo- I I loved them. I've never had any problems. Great results. Really happy. But I found out a couple of years ago that the guy who did them ended up going into like loads of medical negligence cases, and like there was loads of people suing him. But yeah, I had no issues. So yeah, that was, lucky. That was like my step into procedures. <laughs> Yeah, but but thank goodness they turned out fine. I actually just talking about with make yourself amazing, and I've ne- never actually shared this with actually anyone um, other than the people that know me. So when I was twenty seven, I had my first boob job with Make Yourself Amazing, um, and oh my god, they didn't listen to anything that I told them, and I woke up with boobs which like I'm five foot two in a size six with the double G boobs. They were bigger than Jordan's at the time. And and I was like, what? And they're like, oh, it'll go down, it'll go down. And a year later, they were, I mean, they were just the biggest boobs you've ever seen. Um, like completely, I lost jobs over it. 
but they said to me, oh, well, because you had quite a lot of skin where like I was bigger and then I got smaller in my 20s, that oh, we had to fill it. So this is what, you know, this is what we could do. So they just filled it with the biggest implant. Like they just took over my whole body. And I was so, like I hated them so much that a year later I went back to see the surgeon. His name was Dr. Singh. And I saw him and my whole body went into shock. I was like so scared. Um, and, you know, and that was one of the reasons I've had just last year, I had a full mummy makeover, like boobs yeah. smaller, tummy stuff. But I went to Turkey and everyone was like, oh, you know, why are you going to Turkey? Like, you know, you need to stay in England. Like it's where the best people are. It's safer. And I was like, no, 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 no. True. And it's I... not true. It really, really isn't. Listen, I'm, I'm. I, we've all heard the horror stories of yeah, Turkey. Yeah. You know, the BBL people that have like, it's gone gone round. I actually know someone who got an infected BBL and now she only got one bum cheek, a whole mess. <sighs> um, we've heard all the horror stories. However, the when when somebody has a bad experience, a thousand people hear about it. But all of those people who have good experience, you do never hear about it again. Yeah, exactly. There's a reason that places get known for medical tourism and it's because of how effective they are and how be- yeah. much better their aftercare is. So I'm glad that you had such... I can't believe that they did that. But do you know what? Do you remember probably around the it probably would have been around the same time by the sounds of it how aggressively MYA would be marketed to us? Babe. It was every, aggressive, aggressive yeah. marketing. And I remember I went there and the girl who like led me into the consultation room was a full on like used car salesman. Basically, she's like, "Yeah, whatever you want, we give you this side, we give you that side. Put this bar on." It was so yeah useful and that was what put me off was because yeah. it, they made it sound like yeah we'll give you massive tits give you small tits whatever tits you want and it was just like i i, I don't want to do this yeah yeah um it's with it with the the boob size thing yeah. um this isn't a horror story it's quite a funny one i before i had the surgery i was like everyone was saying to me oh what size are you gonna go you're not gonna go too big are you and i was like no i just want like a, a model boob size a little bloop you know little little tiny implant <laughs> And I maintained that the entire way until I walked into the surgeon's office and he was like, okay, so what sort of look are we going for? And I leaned over the desk and I said, get them as big as you can get them. <laughs> yeah. Also, back in that back in that time, so that if I was 27, 28, you would have been five years younger than me. So it's that time period. Yeah. I'm like, it was like Pamela yes. Anderson, Jordan, they were the like, it was like, that is what we wanted to look like. You know, even oh. though I didn't say that, but... My my aesthetic icon from being a teenager was Anna Nicole Smith. Like, oh my I, god! I'm yes, obsessed with Anna Nicole Smith. Yeah, um, and you're right. So it, it, it's it was just like the um, things have changed so much. It was so boob, much at that time period. Huge boobs were like the height of feminine beauty. Yeah, the bigger your boobs were, the better. Yeah, and um, I do think at some point I'll probably reduce mine. I I I I said to my um my partner last year, I was like. I'm about to go one way or the other as I get a bit older. I'm either going to go way more chilled, strip it all back, or I'm going to go full on porn mills and I'm going to get them <laughs> three times the size, probably get a BBL and go fucking crazy on everything. And he's like, please, please don't do that. <laughs> please. So I was thinking, yeah, like big mummy tits, but not yeah. good doing yeah. <laughs> The thing is, just just wait until, you know, it's one of those things you'll know because I was always like, more, more, more. And then I just get to a point where I was like, I'd, in a pink, in the, in myself, I'd look in the mirror and I'd be like, I like this. But then I'd see pictures of me or videos of me from other angles. I'd be like, you look like a cheap slag. <laughs> like yeah. I literally looked 
cheap and nasty and I didn't look like Hollywood glam. I looked like skank. So <laughs> that is you, why I was like, right, let's get... Lincoln yeah. vinyl. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't look nice. But, I've, but I'm, I've stripped it all back and I'm still in the process of stripping it back. Yeah. I even have no nails on, which for me is like a massive deal, like to have no nails. Really? Massive. I was just like nails, the hair, the lips, the teeth, the tits, yeah. the bum. The... So much maintenance, so it's like a full time job. It is, yeah. I am. Um, I'm. I'm quite glad in a in a in a way, but um, I I'm allergic to gel nail polish, so I had to stop doing all of the nails a few years ago. So my yeah. fingers were just like, you know, those pictures of Prince Charles with his massive sausage thing. <laughs> that was like me, but I, but they had like acrylics on the ends of them, so I can't do it anymore. to pay them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just to make them look a bit more feminine, you'd have these acrylics, but it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, so I here I am. Keep them small and square now. So you've had your boob job in Poland. Mm. Then, and what are you what are you doing work-wise at this time? You're working at Shadow Lounge. I think I was at Shadow Lounge at that point. Yeah, yeah. I was at Shadow Lounge. I went on to run a members club in Chelsea afterwards, but not for very long. That was actually where I met Alex. But um, yeah, it was around that sort of time period, I think. Um, and then since then, I mean, I, ha- I have, I've done a lot to my face, but outside of that, it's just been like little tweaks and things that I wanted at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a huge surgery on my face in 2021, it's a year after the pandemic. So about two, about, I don't know, only about a year and a half ago, actually. So it was October, 2021 that I had it done. It's, um, I don't know if you ever heard of FFS, facial feminization surgeries, um, no. There are doctors that specialize in it around the world. And they're basically like, they are surgeons that specialize in taking otherwise uh, male attributed fe- features and feminizing them. And so I I basically got a head transplant. It was, it was crazy what I did. So um, the list that I did to my face in one go, I, they, they cut me from ear straight across to ear whole face came down basically sand they sanded down my entire forehead all of my brow bone and around my eye socket so made the whole bone completely smooth and then I had a brow lift my hairline lowered and then I had fat moved from my stomach to my cheekbones and then I am they went through my mouth and they took a centimeter off of the whole of my jaw and my chin completely reshaped that completely reshaped that part of my face yeah I had a I had a lot done in one go wow that is amazing so if you do look completely different to what you looked like before I think if somebody needed glasses and they weren't wearing them, they could probably mistake me for the same person. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's just more, I, the way I liked to explain it to, especially to like my family, I'd be like, the way I will look is the way I look post face tune. Like just like little tweaks. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I was just kind of like real life face tuning myself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do look quite different i looked insanely different for the six months that followed the surgery it's only when yeah. i look back at it now i'm like fuck i had an egghead i was so swollen yeah and so it takes that, ages for your face to go down i think i'm like, only seeing it not swollen over the last few months it was so insanely swollen and i was having a bit of an identity crisis i think because the week before i had this surgery i knew it was it, it i was scared because i it was a huge thing to do yeah um, but I went to my hairdresser, who I just adore, and I told him, make me ginger. 
I had my hair dyed full ginger. Um, and then obviously couldn't put fake tan on after the surgery for ages because of all the scars and everything. So I had a, uh, like a grey white face, bright ginger hair. I looked like Chucky. It was yeah. horrible. It was not the vision that you'd visualise. It was this not. gorgeous. <laughs> that is so funny. Sorry, and how long, when did you have that surgery? Uh, October 2021. So, but yeah. Really uh, recently. Yeah, it's, it's not that long ago. Yeah. Oh, my I, goodness. I think it seems like longer than it was, but it's not that long ago. Yeah, so, so during COVID, just after COVID? Or in, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I think restrictions were still kind of in place when I went. Because mm-hmm. I think it was really hit and miss because we went on the Eurostar. And I think it was really hit or miss of whether we were going to be able to go or not because they were. It was really limited surfaces still. Yeah, I remember that time. Um. So yeah, but I mean, kind of perfect time to heal because you're not seeing loads of people. Although we were like back to the land of the living by late 2021, people weren't socialising in the same way. Still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, kind of perfect time to get a new face. And are you happy with the results now? I mean, you're just like absolutely gorgeous. But do you look in the mirror and be like, I like this? Yeah. Oh my god, I, I am really happy. There are things that I think I would still tweak, like because I had so much bone taken off of my jaw, the skin's not as tight as okay. it used to be, just around there. Um, and so I, I looked. I, I actually had a consultation with a surgeon not that long ago to have a lower half facelift, just mm. to like tighten it all up. And he said we don't. He said I would never do a lower half facelift on somebody that's your age. He said give it five more years and then yeah. we'll do it. He said, but if you do it now, you will need another one in 20 years. He's like, just wait, like, just deal with it. And so I think it's really easy when um, surgery is a really interesting one within my community, I think, because as you'll know, having had work done, it's a really traumatic thing to go through. Oh, my God. Yeah. It looks so glamorous to have plastic surgery, but it's so traumatic yeah um and i don't know if you've ever done much to your face or if you uh, uh, i don't know if you've had much but um in the months that followed it was very difficult to look at myself and i actually also had a post-surgery complication i had a horrendous infection in my jawbone that landed me in hospital for a while and off the back of that infection, my whole face swole up. I mean, it was, it, I looked like a toad. Like, it was so infected. And, yeah. um And so it it was really traumatic because I, you know, I had a, a semi-successful modelling career prior to the surgery. And I remember looking in the mirror at this mess and thinking, I've ruined it. I, yeah. I, I ruined all of it. And I'm just being so scared. But the reason I mentioned my community is physical and medical transition is so celebrated with, you know, when somebody, you know, like one of the, when one of the girls gets a new face, we're all like, oh, mm-hmm. yay. Like we're all so happy yeah. for her because she's got what she wanted, what she needed. But we are saving all of our money and celebrating what is sometimes one of the most traumatic things that you could go yeah. through because it's, it puts you into a complete identity crisis. And um, so it's a it's a bittersweet experience because it's celebrated trauma, you know. Yeah. And also during that time, I remember, you know, my healing from my body was, it was like six weeks. And I remember like my mental health and I don't really suffer with any kind of negative thoughts mental health, but yeah. it was the darkest time because my body was in pain. I hurt all over. 
I didn't look like I wanted to look like so the results were not there yet and it was like what have you done I remember thinking you stupid stupid selfish cow yeah to myself yeah I never told anybody that because I remember thinking oh god you know no, no, no regret. It's going to be fine. But in that moment, when that time afterwards, you don't, you don't actually know. You really no. don't. Got no and idea. you're just hope, hoping and wishing that it's going to turn out better. But it, it's scary. And it can be, you can yeah. feel really lonely and really like just, I just remember feeling really angry with myself. Like I've got two kids. Why have I done this to myself? Look at you, you stupid woman. Oh, yeah, it's and tough. It, yeah, and it took like, yeah. It was after, three like, months. After you, I bet once you were recovered, everyone's like, you look amazing. Wow. Because, yeah. And so it's a really weird thing because you get yeah. validation and celebration. This horrible thing. Yeah. Like we, we've kind of not, I, we, I think our generation is the first one where um, plastic surgery is so readily available. It's so normalized. But prior to this, you only had surgery if something was really wrong. Yeah. And it's a horrible thing to go through, but we're all like, she got new tits. Woo. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 really bizarre. I've toyed with the idea of doing body stuff, further body stuff. Um, like I thought about I I thought about the BBL, I thought about you know, little tweaks here and there. And then I just think, do you know what? I just don't want to go through it. I just can't yeah. be asked. Um yeah. and also who am I doing it for? Like I, I don't know. Some people it's vital and it really affirms them. I think for now, on the surgical route, I think I'm probably done for quite a while. Um, I remember after you you had Fat Tony on here, didn't you? Yeah, right. I love him. Tony's like like family, right? And so he had one of his sober birthdays. Um, I think it was last year, and um, I was oh Courtney Love was coming and she was late and she's always she's always late she's always fab she's always late and she came in and she said oh my god I was just talking about you with Joan Collins and I was like what and she goes yeah and Joan agreed you've done it perfectly you get your first facelift at thirty five and your second one at sixty and I was like <laughs> I didn't have a facelift but got it yeah. Uh, and then it's a bit, but it's kind of true. Like you can't, yeah. you have, if you, if you want to stay a certain way, you have to maintain it. So whilst I'm done for now, I'm sure I will be under the knife within the next 15 years. I'm I sure. am a hundred percent with you. Last year, I was like, I will never have anything done again. And my mindset is all, is already as and when I will for sure, because it's like, you know, I'm 40 years old. I want to look and feel the way I do now. Like I'm eating well, I'm exercising, but gravity does its own things. And, you know, I am pro-surgery for anyone. Like, well, we're so can... blessed that we live in this era that we can. Like, come on, yeah. like, if you... And also that thing, I fucking hate people moaning. Oh, my God. Oh, I hate my nose. I hate my nose. Just do this thing about it then. Yeah. Get a new one or put a bag over your face and stop talking. <laughs> like, I just can't deal with it. Yeah. I, just... I know, so... I am. I, I'm, I'm definitely pro keeping up with things. Listen, if you want to age naturally... Go for it, but go for it. Yeah, you know, I, I'm. I, That's I, not I, me, honey. I see um, people like like us. It's an aging process, kind of like Jane Fonda. You know, like so glam, so fab. She's kept her face in line. Like her face is great. You can tell she's an older woman, yeah. but it's perfect. Or Cher, Cher, Jane. Yeah. Fonda. Oh my God, what an inspiration! They keep it locked in, it's like, but it, 
it's it's yeah. who they are but it's kind of lot that's where yeah. i want to keep myself i don't want to look much yeah. different in you know 30 years so yeah it's, 20 it's, years yeah exactly. it's just me i agree yeah because i look absolutely at, like, and... i love remember all like when you talk about how she looks like she just hates how she looks she feels like it when you talk to older people about this sort of thing it's like they become prisoners within their own bodies I and know, they, they hate I know. it i just think if it's obtainable to you get the surgeries get botox get the filler get the thread yeah. whatever it is and also yeah. i feel like that generation this is my mum especially like, i look at my mum and she's absolutely beautiful but she is like oh i can't get this done because what will so and so think you know, she really wants a face left because she's you no know, quite like got crepe skin, really wants face. And she's yep. just like, oh no, you know, but what will they think of me? What do they? And it's like, who gives a shit? No one cares. But that generation really care. Like it just, you know, their whole being is affected by what the neighbor or their friend Sally might think of them. And I just feel so liberated that that's not us. Like, oh, God. if you don't like what I'm doing, then, you know, not it's even my friend. <laughs> it wasn't. Keep scrolling. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So we are coming into your 30s. And is this, tell us about your um, underwear situation, your business and your underwear. How, where does this come from? Talk how you, how that came about. Sure. Yeah. The underwear actually started a long time before it launched. Um, I, I used to have a job that meant that I was, um, I basically spent half of the year in New York. I was split between New York and London. I was I spent half the mm-hmm. year there. And um, I was with my then boss on this really long train journey between Washington and Manhattan. And I remember it so distinctly because basically I was, I was dating somebody in Manhattan. Um, and I was moaning to my boss like, oh, I, I wanted to wear nice underwear, but there's literally nothing that I can wear function function wise you know call a spade a spade i make tucking underwear for people that haven't had bottom surgery um that keeps you like flat and in shape and all of this so i was basically moaning to my boss and i was like you know it's just really annoying because i really wanted to wear something nice to see him and and all of that and i'm kind of like scrolling through and my boss was like well why don't you if you if you really hate it why don't you just come up with something and try and launch it and um and that was where it all began and i was like oh i i could yeah. totally do this because prior to this pre-2017 the only place that you could get like tucking underwear or advice were like old cross-dresser shops like where they were like like t like uh transvestite sissy made and all of the underwear e? would say like <laughs> yeah and sissy and and stuff on it <laughs> yeah <laughs> I just couldn't see anything that was like, oh, this is nice. I couldn't see anything. And so went back to the went back to the UK. A uh, friend of a friend was a pattern cutter for um, a freelance pattern cutter for fashion houses. And um, I told him what I wanted to do. We ended up working to, on this project for six months. I had all of these different patterns made and samples of like my, my dream underwear. And... Um, I then had the worst year of my life. It was the most traumatic, horrible year where everything went wrong. Uh, I actually, that was the year that I really fell into addiction as well. Um, It was just horrendous. And I think in my mind, because it was such a traumatic, horrible year, Mm -hmm. I was like, I can't, I need to, 
I need to shut away everything that this year has been and that included the underwear okay. so I just completely backbench I was like I can't do it I can't do it I can't do it but I still had the samples and why was that year so bad why was it um I was sexually assaulted by somebody that I knew um really really badly and um <clears throat> I didn't deal with it at all it was it happened in the house that I was living in I was alone when it happened and I continued to live in the house and in the house I was just reliving what happened it was it was just the worst year ever and then I um I escaped what was happening in my head by turning to drugs and alcohol really heavily made some horrendous decisions ended up dating a drug dealer um it was just the worst year ever um I and did up... you report them to the police or anything or did no. you just stay like it happened and then you stayed in the same house that they were in oh they didn't live with me but it happened in the house that i was living oh, okay. in it happened in the okay, house okay, that okay. I was living in. and um basically the, the my bedroom in that house the whole wall was mirrored it was all mirrored wardrobe and i was basically like knocked unconscious but I was I was like in and out of consciousness and I was watching it happen in the mirror and I swear I've never spoken like this but I swear like every day that I woke up it was like I was watching a videotape in the mirror of it happening and I just I just went out of my mind I just and I didn't report him to the police because it took me about a year to use the R word it took me a really long time to accept that what happened was that because I remember when huh? when it, I, I remember after it the word that I the word that I used was I was saying it was non-consensual that was all like that was the only way I could word it it was non-consensual huh. and um, I played it down I think I only told like two two or three people I just played it down played it down but I was there was a fire lit in me that day like in my head and and it was like the house was burning down in my head. Everything was just falling apart. This <laughs> is such a long story. Continuing, you asked me how the underwear started. Um, <laughs> but no, no, um, I love it. Yeah, the I was just falling apart. I mean, I I I um I responded to it in the worst way that I could have um, by escapism, and I um I went off the rails completely. I became an absolute nightmare. My my family put up with so much shit that year. Loads of... Well, not just that year, the years that followed. So I think it was like two years of active... Two years of solid active addiction that followed it. Um, But it was just horrendous. So everything that I had loved and was passionate about prior to that happening, I just couldn't even associate with me anymore. It was like I had to... I had to move house. Ooh. I had to. I, I moved house. I changed jobs, and I just was different. I was just. It, it was um, when people yeah. go through that, they're different after it. You know, like it's it's like real yeah. scar tissue. Can you, you remember know? people going like, "Yeah, like what? What's wrong? What's wrong?" And you can. You, did you just not were not able to tell them? Were you just quiet yeah. about it? The only time I would tell people about it was when I was really, really wasted. Um, and I would and I would cry or I would get okay. really angry and I used to like call my mum in the middle of the night and I never told her I okay. couldn't tell her what happened at the time but I used to call her in the middle of the night and like cry down the phone or I'd be at my friend's house party and then all of a sudden I would just be crying and talking about it 
this is that the, yeah. it, I mean, it's kind of some of some of the reasoning that led me to address my drinking and substance <laughs> abuse was because every time it, it, the longer it went on, the more it became like every time that I was drinking and getting high. And I started literally spoiling everybody's night every single time they were around me. I, I would go, it would like a switch would go in my head and then all of a sudden I would just start crying. <clears throat> Babe, people work, yeah, all, yeah. people work all week so they can enjoy their weekend and then you've got me crying on your balcony for the fourth time. Like, it's it, it's a lot, you know, like I had to address that. Um, yeah. And so... Um, and then were you sharing in that time, were you then sharing with them, yeah, this is what's happened do you, were you like telling them what happened when you were in that think, state? Okay. Yeah, I, I, I did. I started telling a few people. I ended up telling my mum. It was the okay. year, the year that I ended. Up, I got sober right at the end of 2019. Um, but the that summer, my mum came from Wales because one of my friends within a bit uh, was was doing a big show in London. She loves this friend of mine, so we went to see the show. But I knew we were going to drink, and um. I knew that we would drink at the show and then I knew that we were going to drink after it as well. And I had built such a consciousness of when I drink, I start talking about what happened. And I was so scared that my mum would find out yeah. by me telling her when I was drunk that I sat her down before we went to the show. Yeah. And I said, I have to tell you something because I feel like I'm going to tell you later. And I, it's better that I tell you now than tell you later. And I t- that was that I had to tell her because I was so scared of myself. I was living in this like fear of of myself all the time um yeah so yeah to to kind of like go back to like the the underwear and what happened with that because it was all trauma however throughout this entire time period i was wearing my own samples i wore my own i wore these samples for three years before doing anything about it i wore them every single day i loved the stuff that i had come up with but i just didn't have the confidence to readdress it I didn't have the confidence to say, like, I'm going to do this. The year we started the charity, which is, like, it's the 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 thing I'm the most proud of my whole life of with the, chari- the, the charity is. But a lot of my work is very serious and it's talking about stuff that's really, like, brutal. <laughs> and there's a big part of me that's, like, thrived in creativity and, um, like, fun work and stuff. And, and I've, I've worked in and around fashion and creative fields for the last like decade you know and so uh, there was just this like unfulfilled bit of me and um so yeah towards the end of 2020 i'm trying to work out the timeline oh no it was the it was 2021 because i launched the company two weeks before getting a new face so stupid the worst thing i could have done i was so like i I came out of anesthetics (laughs) on emails ridiculous um but that started because my uh, my partner Alex he said to me uh, we were having this um we were having a meal and I said I just don't know what to do outside of the charity I feel like I'm kind of losing my professional identity a little bit to the cause and I don't really know what to do and he said um he said, for God's sake, make the underwear. Like, you wear it every single day. By this point, the underwear as well was, like, the samples were knackered. I'd worn the same, the same like, five pairs of underwear for years. Like, they, it was, it was like, <laughs> for God's sake, get new underwear and make it. Just do it. And I, I needed a bit of a boost from that. So I went on Instagram, where I've been really lucky enough to build, you know, like, a, a relatively decent, <laughs> engaged following. And I went on the stories and I was like, hey... I want you all to know that 
I've, I haven't announced this, but I have been thinking of it for years. And my dream company is to make underwear. What do you all think about this? And it was like instantaneous. Please do it. Please, please, please do it. We need this. We need this. I was like, okay, I've got something here. So I took the samples that I'd had made to somebody's fashion studio in Camden. We worked out roughly how many pairs we could make per day off of it. So we went through this whole process and I said, you know what? I'm going to do a 48-hour sample sale with no products made. Like there was nothing made. But I said, if we sell 50 pairs, I'm going to do the company. If we can, if, if 50 people say, I want this underwear, that's enough for me to say, let's start it. So I just, I just plugged the shit out of it on instant on, on Instagram and social media. And I was like, I'm going to do this, but I need you to buy into something that won't be with you for a few weeks. And I sold 350 units in two days. Um, and so all of a sudden I was like, I've got to do it. I have to, I have to work this out. And so, yeah, it was like a baptism of fire of like learning how to go from nothing yeah. to running an underwear brand and um and now it's been running for um i mean it's I, I guess it's like between 18 months and two years and now we've got this whole product yeah. range we first line of swimwear for trans women that made headlines around the world we've got this whole collection of products and um the sales of the sales are good every single day without fail their sales every single day and all i do is a bit of Instagram posting. Amazing. It takes care of itself. So yeah, it's, it's um, and it's honestly yeah. like my dream company come true. That is so inspirational. And what is your, like, do you have a vision for that? Like, would you like to have your own shop or maybe have your underwear in Harrods? Like, do you have, what's kind of the big vision for you? Um, there's retail talk. I've spoken to a couple of retailers. Um, I'm really keen to get um, the underwear has got a really high profile in America, more so more so than in Europe. We've got we've the, our biggest customer range is in is in the okay. states, and so right now I'm kind of focused on like okay, how either working with a retail re, uh, with a retailer in the states or working with a distrib- distribution service in the states. I think long term goal. My my aesthetic for the underwear. The reason that there are tucking underwear options available. I think there's like maybe three or four other companies that do it. They're all really heavily sexualized, and um, they don't—they don't speak the language that I understand in the way that they are marketed, the way they look. They're not comfortable, um, and I, I just don't respond to the way. And, and so I made something for myself that I knew other people needed, and so I think the language that my brand mm. speaks is very much in the same ilk in an aesthetic, kind of like Skims. Um, and so I think long-term goal yeah. for the brand is kind of like to have a to have skims that is functional for my community in the, in the way that it looks and the way that it feels because skims yeah. is all about comfort and so is mine. I wear my own products every single day and I know how comfortable they are and I know what the alternative is. So I think long-term goal, continue building it, um, you know, extend the range so there's a, something for everybody. I love the fact that we do swimwear because it, I, I, I remember when I, when I was... 18, 19, I would dance on the party boats for, that left San Antonio. And um, I was yeah. dancing for La Troya, so I would get contracted onto the boats. And 
they would give everybody the same uniform and it would be these tiny little pair of underwear and a crop top that said the brand name of whoever we were dancing for that day. And I used to have to, to tuck, to be quite graphic, I used to have to go to this DIY shop in the back of San Antonio and buy electrical tape. And I used to have to electrical tape myself in place. Yeah. And then wear underwear over the top of it. And then I had to dance like four or five hours on a boat. And because I was electrical taped, I couldn't go to the bathroom. And so I couldn't drink. And so I would do like sips of water or shots, moderate for the entire boat party. I would be so dehydrated and in so much pain from being electrical taped. And um, if I had swimwear when I was a teenager or you know even now you know if, I, if my brand didn't exist going, yeah. to the, going to the beach or going to the pool is not something that we um that that that, that trans people are able to just say yes to it's like it's, it's such a premeditated mm. thing Nobody else can throw on a swimsuit and go to the pool yeah we can't do that but we can now yeah. and so um I just want to continue making stuff that I'm oh my like God, I never ever would have thought of it yeah yeah, I just wanted to make stuff that I was like... Yeah, and the thing is, the best... Sorry, go, go, go. No, I didn't say anything. Um, I was saying the best, like the best businesses in the world come from solving people's problems. You know, like yeah. you have made a solution. You know, you were the perfect example and instead of moaning about it, you created it and what... What an amazing, empowering story. Like, I just know that you're Rand. I can see in a Times Square, that billboard, Zoa, like you with your bikini on, like that is the future. You know, and you're the, like, for, for someone you know like me who's not in your community, <laughs> what I feel that you have done is that it's not like your community and then the rest of the world. You've bridged that gap just yeah. to make it just like, this is just normal. And I think that's, yeah. you know, that that is the future and, and how I hope, you know, for, for all of us, that it's not like them and us or this and that, or it's just everybody is seen as the same and you wear a bikini, whether it's one with the tucked in or not, like it's yeah. just sold and seen as the same thing. Completely. I think I, I, what you said there as well about how um, the successful businesses are the ones that solve a problem. I um when I when I've done interviews about the underwear previously, like especially with people that are not trans, and I say like, once you put your underwear underwear on in the morning, once you pick which underwear you're gonna wear and you put them on, tell me how many times throughout the day you think about the underwear you're wearing, and it's never people don't put on their underwear and then think about it um, again. It's just yeah. on and they're going about their day. However, without the the products that I make, let me tell you, it's all-consuming you are so aware of how painful the other options are of how they might have just moved and now you've got to go and readjust you're so hyper aware of underwear that you can't function properly and so the stuff that i make allows you to put it on and then you don't even think about it after that like i'm not going to the if i go to the beach you know i live on the beach if i go to the beach and put my swimwear on the only time I think about my swimwear is when I'm putting it on. That's it. And then I'm just out the door and I'm having a really nice time. Yeah. So it's it's such an empowering thing. I think uh, it, it sounds really like hippy dippy, but, the you know, your underwear 
and your swimwear is the thing that sits closest to you throughout the entire day. Like your underwear is what is against your skin. And I really, really believe this when I say that if you have underwear that is making you feel in pain or uncomfortable or fetishized or any of the above, you know, that is going to have an impact on the way that you feel about yourself the entire day. It's going to impact how you walk into the meeting room, how you walk and meet your friends, because you are be you're reminding yourself every single day, I'm in a world that's not built for me. That's how it feels. I'm in a place that's not made yeah. for me. I'm not supposed yeah. to, I'm not supposed to just be free. I am wearing this horrible, painful thing and I'm thinking about it yeah. all day. That it's like you're being you. punished. So it isn't seems it? so Yeah. Completely yeah and so like it's it's such a simple idea this like you know like underwear in all different skin tones and shapes but i I, really it's empowering people to spend less time thinking about their oppression and more time thinking about like how they're gonna thrive you know yeah amazing what an absolutely wonderful story i love it and danielle can you share with me your your charity so where did this come from so this came just before the the underwear is that right yeah uh, yeah it did yeah so the uh, the um the charity is um i'm just really bloody proud of it it's um it started around the same time as covid started so like sort of like early to early 2020 okay. it originally started as a fundraising campaign for another charity that was um that was run to raise money but really quickly it snowballed mm. and it was a response to the fact that um listen this this experience i'm really lucky i've had quite a privileged experience mm-hmm. and i recognize the privilege in my experience of the fact that you know like when i wanted to have the surgery i was ready to have to you know i was able to do it when i when i wanted to come out yeah. my family were really accepting i've always had loads of lovely friends i've always been surrounded you know all of these things that's actually quite a unique experience when you're talking about people of of of, the, of this. Yeah, circuit. absolutely. And so, um, the charity was a response a response to how isolating and how shit things are at the minute. You know, like a lot of my t- a lot of my time is spent educating people on what's really happening for the community right now, and it's a it's a dire time. It's really really quite scary. And the charity was a response to the fear um, of of how bad it is. And we we now, you know, we run projects all over the country. We fund projects all over the country. And it's it's grown to such a big level. And we are just so proud of it. It's doing really, really big moves at the moment. Amazing. And when you say, so for someone like me who not in the community when you say it is a dire time why what is that why is it so bad right now sure i think that there's a lot of misconceptions about what 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 people in my community are fighting for at the moment i think if you pay attention to the media or to the government mm-hmm. you'd be led to believe that the, we are trying to um take over gendered sports that we're trying to you know like make prisons unisex or whatever whatever else they're all talking about and that's not true. Okay. I mean, it's just simply not true. The, the it, it, I could, I could, I could take you issue by issue, um, 
and sh- and show you how empty and baseless the accusations are. The reality of it is, is that we, with heightened awareness um, of our community over the last five to ten years, has also come a higher level of scrutiny than we've ever faced before. And the we we yeah. live in the UK. We live under Tory leadership who have comple- completely. I mean, systematically failed this country. We the country is in a worse position now than it's than it's been in for decades. But they are doing now the same thing that they did during the um, the AIDS epidemic with gay men. They are distracting people from how bad <laughs> things are by using a minority group to um, to scare people into keeping them in power. Because for them, what they're saying is like, oh, you you vote in these lefty woke labor lib dem green party people and all of a sudden you know your your mm-hmm. kid's swimming teacher is going to be a drag queen that's got that's untucked and you know like they they use these like yeah, re- yeah yeah they use people's fear as a way to keep them in power and the media yeah. and the government are both operating in a white in a in, under right-wing leadership so this is happening across the board but what happens there you know how we spoke about earlier on and i said i genuinely believe that british people are fence sitters as long as it doesn't interrupt me and my meat and two veg my tv at seven thirty, my husband my 2.5 kids and my you know people b- b- want the best for everybody however yeah that is interrupted when people are made to feel scared and um yeah we are currently being used as the distraction technique to scare people um okay the not only that um that, that i mean in the last five years the hate crime statistics have raised by 332 percent. people are people are, people are being attacked it's horrendous not only that we've got an a, a, an underfunded medical system in this country that has been systematically privatised under Tory leadership to the point that it is completely broken across the board. But when we're talking about trans healthcare, the wait lists for people's um, for people to be seen by medical professionals, an optimistic range to be seen by a specialist is between six to eight years. Optimistic. I mean, years. We're t- yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're talking people are waiting more than ten years to be seen for the first time. They're working through through these wait lists. Their their funding is constantly being cut. It's it's a double edged sword because with heightened visibility, and this also goes back to the point that I said, like I didn't know who I was until I met a trans person, and then I got it. We're seeing more visibility than we ever have before, and what that does is it gives people the courage. And the yeah. reference point to say, "Oh, that's who I am." That's me. Yeah, I believe that if I'd been a trans person represented authentically when I was a kid, I would have been like, "Oh, I know who I am. I get it." Yeah. And I wouldn't have felt like a broken gay boy that didn't know how to be a gay boy. I would have been like, "Oh, <laughs> I I understand who I am now." Um. So with the heightened visibility and awareness comes the fact that more people feel comfortable to live authentically. But when you have a medical system that's completely broken anyway, you've got more people joining that wait list, less money being spent on dealing with the wait list, gatekeeping medical systems put in place throughout the entire way. It's luck of the draw whether you get a GP that will even refer you um, because they, they're not educated on it. So you you have to be lucky to get a good GP. Um, I think 
it's it's something like you've got a one in seven chance of being referred by your GP for the first the first time you tr- you ask for it. You have to keep asking or swap GPs. Wow. This 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 medical care crisis is having such an impact on people's mental health. Yeah. Um, I know two people within since since COVID. I know two people that have taken their lives because of the wait times. It's this is this is epidemic level. Yeah. And then you have people that are trusted public figures, you know, like like Ricky DeVage, J.K. Rowling, whoever it is, try and utilize um, verbiage like women's rights because they are trying to push the narrative that trans people being given equal access and equal opportunity has any impact on women's rights it which it, it, we know that it doesn't especially <laughs> when we're talking about like gendered spaces and stuff like that trans people have been allowed to go into the bathroom that aligns with who they are since legally since 2004 we haven't had any issues we're fine however here we are it's this vicious cycle the media the yeah, government yeah trying to say now that all of a sudden we need to be scared of trans people go listen i transitioned when i was 17 i have never been scared to go into public bathrooms until the last two years and i now try not to go into public bathrooms because all of a sudden i feel like there's a bigger chance that somebody's going to recognize that i'm trans and there's a bigger chance of a problem now because people are really scared and so now i tend to only go to public bathrooms if it's like like unisex like a like or like an accessible toilet or something and that's me speaking with the privilege that i have having had all of the surgery that i've had transitioning young there are people that didn't transition until they were i don't know 40 50 60 who have a harder time in terms of like possibility they can't then what what were these people supposed to do um the conversations I, I i i could i could talk about this for hours there's so much injustice happening at the moment mm-hmm. and no these people are not seeing that we've seen how this cycle goes like when yeah. we, i i refer back to the way that gay people were treated in the 80s and 90s we're seeing the exact same um, yeah. language used the child groomers the you know sex criminals and all of this when people look that's not true like this it's just not because more people um it, it there's there's somebody on tiktok who i love who does a weekly tally of the people who have been incriminated who have been charged with child sex offense acts and um say like i don't know 50 people a week and i, I think the last time i saw it she's been doing it she she's she's up to week 16 and out of all of those people i think two have been trans and almost all of them have been um like in religious environments so like church pastors um you know like teachers <laughs> the fear is not warranted it's, yeah it's, it's yeah. just not. and also we're talking about a demographic of people that make up 0.3 to 0.5% of the population. We the, we are we re, we represent the smallest group of yeah. people. But the media would lead you to believe that there's one of us on every corner. It's, yeah. it's, that, it's, that it's like and now everyone's everyone's trans. That is the and I I don't even watch the news. Yeah. I just consume it by my, you know, social media from whatever pops up, but that is so the case actually. Now I think it's like oh my God, you've got to be scared because everyone's becoming trans. Like it's like a, one, it's not happening with two, like it's a bad thing. Actually, yeah, but, you know. But also like they, we've seen the exact same language used against gay people. You know, yeah. like 
I remember when I was little, this was under the um, Section 28 was a piece of legislation that was in act until the early 2000s, was brought in by Margaret Thatcher and it prevented people from talking to kids about sexuality and, and being okay with who they are. It, it destroyed people's lives. I grew up under mm. it. You, you probably unknowingly grew up under it, you know. Yeah. Um, they're about to try and bring in legislation that does exactly the same thing, but for trans people, we know that this destroys lives. Yeah. And we know that kids cannot be radicalised into being something because if no. that was the case, then every child would be straight. Because yeah. the, uh, the examples that they're given are of yeah. straight heterosexual, you know, heterosexual cis couples. Yeah, like if, you're if, not who you are because you saw something and then decided that you were you were born who you are, and then only over time were you able to identify that because of there's there's no examples out there. Yeah, if I'd have led by example, I would have been a rugby player like my dad was praying for. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah, that so- is. fascinating yeah and so that was why the charity came about um something that we have really come to understand especially over the last year with how it's getting progressively worse it really is i keep trying to be optimistic but things are not looking good at the moment and um what we really recognize with ourselves as a as an organization is now that our only responsibility at this time is to be a source of optimism and joy and so we just do projects that make people feel good, that bring people together, that give people a place to go, that, you know, we lead by positive, positive example. Um, and that's all of our, all of our fo- focus is now. Yeah, absolutely. And what an amazing job that you're doing. We just need more, <laughs> more of you, more of the, the pop-up events. But I think this is probably one of my most favourite and interesting and, like, insightful conversations that I've ever had. So thank you so much, Danielle. I've got one final question that I want to finish with because this is all the question that I ask every single person. Okay. What advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, um, how young are we talking? Have we got an age range on it? No, no. Just, you know, if you could look back and you could oh, I, sit I just, down with yourself, what would you say to her? Really funny, but I can't say it because of something that we were talking about before we start recording. <laughs> don't do it what advice I would give myself um, would be don't um, just because somebody validates who you are doesn't mean that you have to give all of yourself to them Um, I would I I spent a big chunk of my life um, not only in a romantic sense um but in a, 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 across the board, just because somebody would say that who I am is okay, they would get every single bit of me. Okay, and I understand. Yeah. Free access to not only my body but my my heart and my emotions. And I wish I wish I could go back to myself, probably around the like sort of like sixteen, seventeen mark, and say like the the thing you have to be the most protective of is is you is like you like don't 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 stress about like things and money and all of that stuff like just don't don't be so easy to give all of you away because i think that would have saved me a lot of undoing you know yeah i totally totally relate to that especially when it comes to men i was exactly the same in my 20s 
someone yeah. saw me, thought I was pretty. I was like, oh, wow, I'm so grateful that you noticed me. And then I'm before I know I'm in a relationship with them. I don't even like them, but they see me. And so therefore I'm with them. Yeah. I, I, I was I was exactly the same. Yeah. And I think um, I think back to a lot of situations with men where I was just seeing myself, but only through their eyes, you know, yeah. like I could only see who I was through 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 their gaze. And I just wish that I'd had a little bit more self-assurance. Yeah. Um, and I wish I knew the end. I, I wish I knew the outcome of it all, that everything would be OK just be a bit more protective of yourself you know i wouldn't have given myself so freely to people in all in all contexts yeah absolutely danielle it has been the biggest pleasure i feel like i've got a bazillion more questions i could talk to you for ages uh but for now yeah. this is the end of our conversation thank you thank you so much for being for me really open vulnerable I feel like maybe I asked some questions that I should have probably known, but you just answer them so beautifully and without making me feel like I should have known them. So thank you for that. And I know that this conversation, people will listen to this and feel heard, seen and noticed because of what you have shared today. So thank you so much for being such an inspiration. Well, thank you for having me on. It's so nice to finally get to chat to you properly and thank you very much.